Shelton. It's Dana and Jay. All right, welcome in to hear that podcast, Growling. Paulina Jr. and Jay Morrison, live room edition here on a Monday. Hope everyone's enjoying their lunch and has their boss far enough away that they're not paying attention to what they're doing. Jay, how did you get away with like faking work back in the day? I feel like that was a, uh, a maybe a staple for you at Arby's. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never done such a thing. <laughs> Your work ethic, even in the Arby's days, working the cheddar was tireless. There's nowhere to hide in an Arby's. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh, all right. Uh, thanks to everybody uh, that's popping in here. We've, uh, you know, during the the early parts of the season, we, we like to do these, but it gets really logistically difficult because we're traveling back on Mondays and we've had all these primetime games and you don't want to hear us on no sleep in an airport. Trust me. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's a bad place to be in worse than the Bengals were in when they were zero and two coming back from Dallas. Um, but now that we're kind of back on a little bit more of a normal schedule, um, we're going to do these. We're also going to do another one next Monday. Uh, as you guys are all on pins and needles waiting for the Monday night football game, uh, Bengals at Browns on Halloween. Uh, I, I may or may not be in my full superhero outfit while I do it. I won't post any pictures about that or anything like that. Thankfully, we won't be on the on the YouTube stream. But uh, yeah, Halloween game. We'll have a lunch live room for you uh, next week as well at noon in in preparation for that. I'll try to find a quiet corner at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to to take part in the library. I have a feeling that it's rarely quiet in the areas of the Hall of Fame that you will be uh you will be going through. Does Iron Maiden have its own wing, Jay? Not yet. It's a it's a huge oversight. <laughs> All right, let's uh you know, we we talked plenty yesterday in a in a long walkout about where the Bengals are at and you know, we've had kind of a day to go go through some of the tape, make a few calls, look through some of the grades. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think it feels kind of the same as it did yesterday. Um, you know, the offensive line steadying itself. I mean, it is, it, it really, I'm really curious to see what this line looks like against Cleveland. Now, Cleveland's defense as a whole, uh, has not been great. Um, but they showed a little bit better last week against Baltimore and they have my, you know, miles Garrett. They had, they have pass rushers. They have a little bit more of a pass rush. I mean, New Orleans and Atlanta, just they're, they're just not great rushing the passer. I mean, it, it was Grady Jarrett uh, was, you know, but he didn't wreck the game. He got one, but I mean, for the most part, thing was only allowed. I believe PFF had him for only on four pressures. You know, when you have that, when you give Burrow that kind of time, you can call those plays where they can work the, the, the intermediate levels, which they did to a far higher degree than they have at any point this season. 39% of Burrow's throws were between 10 and 19 yards. You know, before that game, he was averaging in the teens on that percentage. And his highest for the year was 24% way back in week one. I mean, when you can you open up that portion of the field, uh, you know, it's night-night time. And so they, uh, I, I think that, that that's a big part of what they, you know, were able to do is that buy them time. But what do they look like against some of the more potent pass rushes when those do start to show up? Even the Panthers have a little bit, you know, Brian Burns. They've got they've got some pass rush to them too. So it'll be interesting to see how the line holds up when more of the more potent pass rushes start showing up. Yeah, I mean, what Clowney and Miles Garrett next week? That's that's going to be a different test, and it is. It's that's. The, the intermediate is where Joe Burrow has, has thrived since he got here. Everybody is enamored with the, the deep shots and, and they have been a big part of this offense, but that's really what makes this, this offense tick is, or makes it go is Burrow just incredibly accurate on those intermediate passes. And that's a big reason why everybody was wondering what had happened to Tyler Boyd because he, he's the same way. He thrives in the middle of the field and on those routes. And, um, it, some of his stuff yesterday was more of the just sit down the short five, six yard routes. But, um, yeah, they, they've got a, they've 
got to continue to to play well on the offensive line against that that Cleveland defensive line because they they can wreck it in a hurry. Yeah, uh, plenty to get to. If you have a question, go ahead and uh, you know do a request to hop up on stage. We'll put you in line. We'll get to as many as we can. And, or if you have some that you want to just drop in the chat, as a few of you have, uh, we will go ahead and, and we'll pop in there, too, as we go through for the next half hour, 40 minutes, something like that. Um, and I'm sure we will wrap as we always like to do. Hopefully, Natasha V will be checking in from Hawaii as we close every live room with I, and lets us hear the ocean. I can use the ocean on a day like today, although we're hanging on. We're hanging on, Jay. It's nice out for a couple more days. I'm going to going to enjoy that. But I still need some ocean time from Natasha. But first. Let's go and uh, take some questions. So let's start here at the top of the list. Let's bring Robert E. up onto the stage. Robert, are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, Robert. What's going on? Hello. My question is, you know, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself because it's still a long season. Um, But how do you see the AFC North developing with the Bengals being 0-2 and the Ravens being 2-0 in the division? Um, and how condensed the AFC seems to be in tiebreaker scenarios. Do you think the Bengals, you know, if they don't win the AFC, do you think their playoff odds are still pretty good, or do you think it'll be, um, you know, highly contested if they only get to nine to ten wins? That's basically my question. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tight. It it, it feels if they only get to nine or ten wins, it feels like they are going to be in a jumbled mess for um, a thick wild card tiebreaker. And it, it does help them that one of their losses was Dallas. So that, that the, after you go division record, um, the, it, the next one is, is conference record. So that would help. Um, as far as the division and where they stand at 0 and 2, I had looked it up last week. There, since the AFC North was formed in 2002, only two teams have won the division with three division losses. Uh, the Bengals, 2013 Bengals were one of them, but yeah, four and two feels like the baseline to, to win this division. Um, and that's what makes this Cleveland game so huge. Cause even if they rebound, lose at Cleveland, rebound and beat Carolina and you're, you're looking at this hot stretch of, of five out of seven wins going into the bye, sitting 0 and three in the division is, is really going to be a hard climb, especially when you look at what that Ravens schedule looks like in the second half of the season. Things get a lot easier for Baltimore after their bye. Who's good in the AFC? Okay, Buffalo, Kansas City, obviously. Yeah. And then I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean when you when you Tennessee are you buying Tennessee at four and two? Are you you know are you between the Bengals and the Ravens, I mean, I do do think that you're going to see that turn into what we thought it was going to be with this two-team race. Are the Ravens good, though? Like, every game they have is is coming down to the wire, and they're try, they're blowing it, and their defense still has whole I – mean, I, I don't know that the Ravens are necessarily good. I mean, the Bengals didn't play a great game, and they had them, you know, right there if they can punch it in from the two-yard line to, to win that game. But they're – then the Jets – are we buying the Jets still? Maybe. Miami might be good. But, I mean, after their early burst last night, they don't do anything offensively even with Tua back. I mean, the Chargers are okay. They're, I mean, I, I just – I don't know when I look at the AFC where we all thought, right, it was going to be, God, there's just so many great teams and, and great teams are going to get left out. I there's just been a lot of developments that where it's, it's not quite as intimidating as it used to be. And, and I do think Baltimore and Cincinnati will end up in the playoffs. I think they both make, I mean, I think they're both just too good. And I just don't see a lot happening elsewhere. You're right. The Ravens have a much easier schedule the rest of the way out. But I mean, what does that mean? I mean, did the Bucks? The Brady Bucks game was supposed to be one that oh you got to go to Tampa and play Brady. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, not very intimidating for PJ Walker apparently. So what is that game even? These things change; they change fast. Um, I think from what you, at this point in the season, the first half of the season, I think you're looking internally, right? I, more than you're looking externally. And I think when you look internally at where the Bengals are now, where they've evolved to. They look like one of the three or four best teams in the AFC and trying to climb to that Buffalo, Kansas City tier. We'll, 
we'll see once they face, you know, they do hit that string. It'll be fun to see what they look like at that point. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. Another question here. Let's go to, uh, Alexander and let's bring Alexander up on what's going on. Hey, um, I have actually got a Hamilton based run passer boot. If you guys are down for it. Oh, wow, yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Pandering <laughs> to your base at this point. I love it. Paul, your Hamilton slander will not stand. Uh, <laughs> should I should I go outside so we can hear the sirens and the motorcycles <laughs> ripping by down here by Fort Hamilton? So you might do that. Um, Jay, municipal brew works, fretboard or other? Um. Well, is there another? What is there another one in Hamilton? Not, I guess, not a brewery, but places to drink. We have oh, at least yes. breweries, okay. guys. <laughs> Some stabbings, um, breweries. <laughs> Um, I've not been to fretboard. I've had fretboards beer and I've been to the fretboard location before it was fretboard. I love municipal brew works. I just, the, the setting, I like their beer. I went there the day they opened. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, of theirs. So I'll run with them. Um, I'll pass on other. There's a bar that's like four tenths of a mile from my house called the <laughs> Avenue that makes it very convenient to walk home if need be. Um, and uh, have a great Queen of Hearts game that makes things very interesting. And then um, I'll boot fretboard, but I do, I, I do love Ariba, and I, I, I hesitate to drink it sometimes because drinking a pink beer, uh, you, you get some sideways looks. But um, that that strawberry Ariba beer, I love it. Uh, I I gotta say, I'm a big fretboard fan. Love fretboard Bootsy is like one of the best IPAs. I'm a, yes. I, I like, I, I've, we've been to the location up in, uh, like that Evendale, Glendale area up there. Uh, and, and really enjoyed it. So, uh, and queen of hearts, Jay, I, I'm just glad you get to bring up the queen of hearts game, which by my favorite, <laughs> like the overhead pictures of 8 million people surrounding <laughs> some small bar right by your house, uh, trying to win massive amounts of cash. Uh, very, very strong Hamilton. Uh, Moeller plays Hamilton, I believe. Is that yeah? Correct, I, I think you're right. I think this, that's this what weekend. the first round pairing is. I won't. I, I won't. I won't say anything about that. I, I, we'll I will not make a wager on that. <laughs> I don't know if you were, don't. First of all, don't place lines on high school football games. <laughs> but, but if you did, uh, we we'd be talking some. You'd have to be looking at the 2007 Patriots level of uh, you know. <laughs> Breaking new ground, probably the way that they've been playing. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Fisher C, uh, let's bring you uh, up onto the stage. What's going on? Oh, not much. Um, just issuing my long line of apologies for... Uh, for two things. Number one, I kind of buried Zach Taylor as a play caller. I think there are a lot of people that are probably listening right now and definitely on social media that did the same thing. And then also I was kind of an Eli Apple apologist over the off season. I said, well, it's fine. They had some other things they needed to address and I wanted to bring in a number two corner, but he's fine. He played okay down the stretch last year. And, you know, obviously aside from the Super Bowl, but He's been terrible, and I think the game plan that Zach has put together the last two weeks has been phenomenal, and uh, it was really just a breath of fresh air to watch those boys hum around yesterday like they did. I mean, uh, only a handful of times we've seen them play like that. Uh, it was it was lights-out stuff from them, and so a lot, lot to be encouraged about. I think Mixon's playing well, but uh, just wanted to put my formal apology out there for Zach. Uh, <laughs> we take it back, I promise, okay? <laughs> Until they lose again, right? Yeah, yeah, and back yeah. then back to the pitchforks. Yeah. I love it. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Fisher. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know what? It's a good it's a good point to address, right? So we'll talk about the the Zach the Zach Taylor hate that existed just a couple weeks ago, right? I mean, coming off the Baltimore game, 
that's what it was. It was the play caller, you know, and, and I, I, I always, they, they have evolved offensively and had to fix real problems in real time. And the nature of how great it is, how we can consume the NFL, how smart the conversations are around the league, how quickly we all can, whether it's through all 22 or true media stats or any of the stuff that we all, that we have these, this access to can see what's going wrong very specifically, very quickly. And honestly, we kind of can see it the same way they can. Now we can point to things like Philly specials and trick plays and say, Oh, you screwed that up. But I mean, I think that's part of it too. Like, callers screw things up but the fact that we we're just able to so quickly diagnose the same problems that they're having to fix and their ability to be in there figure out solutions find solutions that actually work and fit what they have and start making it work for them where you see them turn the corner i think is part of what you saw in the evolution of them offensively last year that helped them win the North and eventually make it to the Super Bowl and their evolution as a team too, on the defensive side of the ball too, when you get to how Luana Rumo has evolved. I mean, I just, you've got to give time. Yes. I, w- I would rather have a staff that maybe has, is not the greatest at calling a perfect play every single time, but over the course of a season is good and at being open-minded and being able to evolve into different types of things and understand their personnel. Well, we have seen a lot of coaches come through here and coaches across the league that are just constantly trying to fit square pegs in the round holes. This is my system, do my system. I think the versatility you've seen out of this staff doing a lot of different things and winning in very different ways over a couple of years is I, uh, you know, commendable to them and, and kind of part of, I think, what they believe to be their expertise is they can, they're not afraid to pull in a bunch of different directions and not just sit there and say, we're the Rams offense, right? Like, yeah. that's, it's, it, they've been about four different versions of offense over the last couple of years and they've found ways to make all of them work. Yeah. The, the key word you had there was evolution. It's the, it's not just over the course of the season. It's over the course of the game. You figure out what they're doing. You adjust. Nobody has any patience anymore. It's, it, you would be stunned to see the amount of angst and angry tweets that come in at nine minutes, eight minutes to go in the first quarter of a game. It's like nobody just wants to let anything play out. Everything is instantaneous now. You can get all this information, news, sport, whatever. You can get anything with a snap of a finger. And nobody wants to just wait and let it play out. And and I think, you know, Zach hit on that yesterday in his post-game press conference. And and I know some people kind of took exception to the quote. And it wasn't like he was just walking around banging his chest saying, I told you to be patient. He was, he was, it was a press conference. He was responding directly to a question. And, um, I, I thought it was, it was an important note that yes, you, you do need to be patient in this league. And nobody wanted to start 0 and 2, but it's not like they were just completely lost and befuddled. And, um, I think at this point, a Super Bowl trip, um, a division title. He, he's earned the benefit of the doubt. That entire staff has earned the benefit of the doubt. The last thing you want is a my way or the highway kind of coach. And you know they're going to try to figure things out and adjust. And and you're starting to see it. And, yes, a, a lot of this, and we say it all the time, it's it's not about who you play. It's when you play them. And they've been very fortunate to get the, the Falcons and the Saints when they were banged up. Um, they, they got the Jets at a good time with Joe Flacco instead of Zach Wilson. And they got the, the Dolphins at a good time. But – they're, they all count the same. They're all still wins. And the direction this offense is going, regardless of who's standing on the other side of the line of scrimmage, uh, is, is a very, very encouraging sign. Yeah. I, you know, I would, I would certainly agree with that. And, and, um, and I think it'll probably change again. Right. I mean, we'll yeah. see, we'll see more things probably continue to, to evolve as they, as they go on, whatever comes up next, maybe somebody gets hurt or, you know, you, you, you have to change the way you were. I mean, that's, that's just part of it. And, and the teams that do it the best end up there. I mean, we go back to, we've made this reference a few times, you know, we talked about how Kansas city was in such a similar spot last year and Andy Reed, you know, the good quarterbacks, you know, the, the coaches that are able to be creative and evolve 
uh, are the ones that find a way. And you saw that happen last year when, when the Kansas City started so slowly and they picked up. And now and people said the same thing with the Chiefs this year, right? It was going to be, how are they going to do without Tyreek Hill? You find new ways. You know, they're, they're, Kansas City is scary. They find new ways to win. It's more than just having all these elite weapons. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes there's trial and error. And certainly there has been trial and error here again, though. I do think it's going to be important to in the same way you couldn't overreact to the struggles. You can't overreact to the massive successes against right. these defenses that, you know, are susceptible to this type of thing. Um, and so we'll, we'll see what that looks like when some of the tougher defenses show up again. Um, let's go. Let's see, let me, let me hop into the chat here for a second. Uh, how Kyle are, how realistic is it that Huber gets replaced this year? We uh, we referenced this, uh, I believe, maybe before last week. I'll blame yeah. it. It was two weeks ago. But it, that was a topic. Jay, you wrote about it. Um, I had something about it in in either a twib or a mailbag. But yeah, I mean, I I think he's on notice. Um, yeah, Drew Crispin's still here. So this was not going to be a year where Kevin Huber was just you know automatically. This isn't like a, a year term where he's in the office for a year, you know, no, but his replacement is sitting right there. If it doesn't go well for an extended stretch of time, they're willing to give him some leash, but you, you know, if you have games like he had a couple of weeks ago where it almost costs you and, and you saw you know, a short punt yesterday mm-hmm. and, and that partially led the other side being missing Stanley Morgan as the gunner there that partially led to that long return. Those add up. And I do think Darren Simmons is – he needs to see some good games. He needs to see a string of good punts from Kevin uh, in order, you know, for, for him to continue to stay around. So, uh, I, I, you know, who knows how, how many it will be, but I, I think Kevin knows. He's, he's got to punt well or else, um, you know, they're not going to be afraid to make the move if that's the move. Yeah, and the thing is, if they make the move, it's not like anyone is going to claim – Kevin Huber, he's going to be sitting at home. And if something goes wrong with Drew Chrisman, they can call Kevin up and, and bring him back if need be. It's he, he Kevin ranks 28th in punt average this year, 44.7. When I was talking to Darren Simmons about this, he and he's always said this, the single most important stat for a punter is net average. And there's only one punter in the league with a worse net punting average and Kevin Huber's 37.9, and that's the Patriots' Jake Bailey at 36.1. You cannot live at the bottom of that list all year. Um, and, and we saw Drew Christman out on the field blasting punts in the pregame warm-up yesterday. He is constantly looming over Kevin Huber's shoulder. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that it's imminent, but if, if Kevin struggles Monday night in Cleveland, and, again, it's Cleveland, I absolutely think we could see a switch at the bye. And pregame yesterday, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Chrisman in uniform before the game doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, so. that's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like, that's normally dudes that are out there doing their pregame workouts are just in, like, sweats and uh, whatever. But he was kind of out there in the gear, um, which is just a rehearsal. <laughs> I mean, why else? what else would be the – yeah. It's just a, it's just an interesting note. Like, well, there's no other reason for those guys to be out there other than needing to feel like what it feels like on game day. Just a, just a note. Um, all right, let's go back on to bring people up on stage here for a second. Let's bring John O up on the stage. John O, what's going on? What are up, you guys? With me? Yeah, there you are. What's going yeah. on? Hey, I the uh, trade deadline looming. Wondering if you see any targets and or Jackson Carmen realistically on the block. Uh, good question. Jackson Carmen, uh, he lives in two places, the bench and the block, I would say at this point, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if anybody is willing to take on Jackson Carmen, maybe they view him as a change of scenery, um, you know, candidate. And look, they got BJ Hill for Billy Price, so I would never put it past them to be able to get something decent for somebody. And teams are always looking for offensive line help. Um, I mean, at this point, I don't, I don't, 
maybe we're just partial because we know how they feel about him. It's just hard to see a team that would be willing to give up anything of any value for Carmen or them necessarily being willing to just trade him for nothing because, look, if the injuries do occur there, at least you have somebody who has some kind of a pedigree that's back there now behind Max Sharpering, I guess. And so I think they're interested uh, if somebody was willing to give them something that they felt like they needed. The question is, to me, is what they really need. I, I think an injury of some sort would have had to have happened at a primary position, wide receiver being the most obvious, where they would be, you could see them dipping in. It's unlike them. They obviously historically, traditionally don't involve themselves in this trade deadline, but there's a lot of things they haven't involved themselves in traditionally that they've found themselves involved in lately. So I won't just write it off. I would say I doubt it, um, but it's never it's never impossible. And certainly I would say if you were going to see somebody, Jay, you wrote about trade deadline last week as part of the All-32 we did. Um, Carmen is the only real candidate to be shipped, in my opinion. Yeah, and I could see it being um, something – a conditional type of trade where maybe they get a seventh round for him. And then if he starts so many games over the, the, the rest of the season, it, it bumps to a sixth or maybe it starts at a six and goes to a fifth or something like that. Cause you're right. I don't know who's going to be offering much for him. Um, unless it's a case where it is a team that has an injury, but I, I think a lot of people see the writing on the wall that he's a, a candidate to be cut next year and they could just sign him that way. And then as far as targeting someone, I mean, they, you're right. They have, they have stepped out of their comfort zone in so many ways, but I just, it, it would be really hard at this point to, or you just don't see them giving up draft picks to grab someone because number one, they, they hardly ever do it. And number two, they've got so many huge contracts coming up and, and adding guys through the draft on those rookie contracts are going to be a big part of filling out the, the middle and back part of the, the roster the next few years. Once they have to dump all that money on Joe Burrow and Logan Wilson and T Higgins and Jamar chase and on and on and on. Yeah, I don't, I don't see draft picks being a part of the equation. I think it would have to be a player for player at a spot where they feel like they need better depth at and someone is willing to take on Carmen as, as a, you know, possible offensive line solution, maybe liked him coming out of the draft or something. I don't know. Um, That's probably the most likely scenario. I just think you're right. I mean, them needing picks, wanting picks, I I don't see them trading any kind of six or like the, to acquire a pick, you know, I mean, I, I like they're going to want the, they want this year's team to win the Super Bowl. Like that's how they think at the trade deadline. They, they are not, you know, we can go back and relitigate the 2019 trade deadline all over again, where you could argue they blew it pretty hard, pretty bad uh, by not trading off their assets for picks at that point. But they're not in that point. That's because they all, they almost always the deadline are still thinking about this year. That's the way they operate. And so thinking about this year, they're going to be thinking about how could we maybe add a piece that could help us win this year? Not can we get a scrap for Jackson Carmen? Yeah. It's not going to be their mentality on this. So we'll see. Uh, I, again, as position of need, you know, I would have, we, we talked about this before the game yesterday. I would have made a suggestion that sure. I mean, yeah, you could say maybe they need another backup tackle, right? I mean, Isaiah Prince is still mm-hmm. nowhere to be found, but Akima Denji comes in and plays well. Like yeah. he, he came in in for Collins was needed and he had put up a clean sheet in his, in his reps, which was, I tweeted that 17 opportunities, eight true pass sets, something of that nature for him. And not a, you know, not a single pressure or anything allowed. Look, I mean, that matters. I mean, that that can leave an impression when you're talking about maybe we don't need to, you know, try to do that. Maybe maybe you feel good, even better with the Denigy, uh, you know, hanging out there as your swing tackle now. So yeah, I think I think that's all part of it too. Um, but again, it, we'll we'll see how that plays out. All right, let's just take a quick break. Let's go next. Bring Aaron B up on the stage. Aaron, what's going on? You with me? Oh. Hey, sorry. I was, I, I uh, miss you guys. Um, so I have a question about the staff uh, and kind of how you evaluate them. Should, what's greater being impressed by the fact that they're able to kind of 
find an identity and reinvent themselves on the fly, which they've kind of done in multiple seasons, or more disappointed in the fact that they didn't seem to know who they were at the beginning of the season, uh, despite so many people coming back? It's a good question. You know, I, they, they did have people coming back, but they had a lot of new pieces. And I don't know that, you know, I just feel like anymore when you don't utilize the preseason uh, for starters, you know, you, you really are using the first few weeks of the year as that evaluation to figure out what you do really have when you need it. And, and I, and I, and I think that was part of their process here. So I don't say, I think there's a disappointment in that necessarily. There's a disappointment in losing the game to the Steelers. Um, but I don't think that there's a disappointment in the fact that they've had to be like, okay, we got to reconfigure. This is not exactly what we thought it was going to be. They, they have not, the chemistry on the front has not been what we thought it would be. We didn't think it would take this long. You talked to Frank Pollock um, last Thursday or Friday, and he was saying, you know, with, really with everybody, you know, Collins really suffered from not being part of camp. Like you could tell he didn't have his season legs under him, and he's really kind of started to find himself a little more despite that cadence issue that he had yesterday where he just didn't know the snap, which is not good. Uh, but, you know, in guys in Volson, it was obviously going to take him some time as a rookie to get used to things. And you've got Kappa and Karras playing next to all these guys playing next to each other for the first time. It was just going to take time. And, and you're, the fact that you're seeing that now come together, there's a learning process in that, figuring out what they do well together. I, I don't look at that as a disappointment of having to figure that out, you know, and if you want them out there getting a ton of reps together in preseason and risking injury, then that's a, an option that you could have taken. I'm not going to fault the Bengals for the current way that they've done it and just decided to learn a little bit more on the fly in the regular season. If they can, you know, I, I, I wouldn't call it a disappointment. It's my, I guess my very long winded answer uh, to that question. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that it's not golf. It's not just all about your performance. There's a defense out there, and there's an adjustment. to. They knew, they anticipated they were going to get these different looks this year. But it wasn't just Collins missing camp. It was Joe Burrow. And it's it's not just the physical recovery from the appendectomy, but it's the mental. He didn't get all those reps of, of, of going against a, a different scheme, Um of defense and trying to figure out the best way to attack it. So that all, that all plays into it as well. And then with uh, one thing about the, the Collins sack yesterday, uh, Ted Karras said that's on him. He said he snapped it early and he, even, he's, he said, if PFF is listening, that's on <laughs> me. Do not do not. He's like, I don't know who got beat, but do not give the sack to whoever that was. And PFF listened. They only credited the Bengals with two sacks allowed, and one was on Jonah, and one was on Alex Kappa. They did not give Lael Collins a sack on that. How about that? They should have given it to Ted Karras, right? They should have. Yeah, he, he said, Ted "Give Karras it to me." Sack. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's really that's really interesting. Um, all right, I'm glad you're there to correct me. I wasn't there for that part of Karras yesterday. I missed that part of the conversation. Yeah, we both hit him at different times. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Let's move on and let's go to uh, Eric H and bring Eric H up onto the stage. What's going on? Hey, how you guys doing today? Great, Eric. Doing good. Good. This is actually a, a good little lead-in because I was just going to say that uh, the Ted Karras interview yesterday in the locker room was probably one of my favorite interviews, non-Marshawn Lynch <laughs> category. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was a great interview. And then I stumbled upon the Hayden Hurst uh, video of his struggles with of mental illness last night as well. And it just got me thinking about um, – the the free agents they've brought in this year this is a kind of like this you start to kind of figure out who you got this year both in quality of individual and quality of player and um and you know kind of along the same lines of the parallels of last year with the the free agents that they brought in you know they they didn't bring in free agents a lot and then last year they brought in a bunch and they're all good guys and good football players and this year they kind of seem to have gotten good guys and good football players that have bought into Zach's system but are just good dudes right there's this talk about no egos in this locker room i wondered if you could 
just kind of touch on your thoughts on, you know, the Bengals' continued success with free agents in both players and person. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of, of their analysis and, and how they scout these guys, both coming out of college and who they're going to target in free agency. That was, you know, there was some, I guess you would say, red flags with Leo Collins and uh, the, Frank's history with him and, and kind of vouching for who he is. That played a role in that. And you you get a guy like Ted Karras, and he's voted a captain before he's ever played a game for the franchise. And they talk about it all the time, the guys they try to get out of college that it, it not necessarily they have to be good guys, but they have to love football. Not just the three hours on Sunday when you play, but the the grind of of practicing and 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 studying film and and learning in the meetings and all that. They they you have to love every part of football, and that's that's a big part. A lot of people kind of rolled their eyes when Zach talked about culture so much in his first press conference, and really ever since. And that's that all goes into that. That that is a huge part of this. And um, I the the ego thing I did I asked because. I think it was last week, two weeks ago, when we were talking about Tyler Boyd not being involved, and uh, Zach said he has the smallest ego on the team. And I asked every guy I talked to in that locker room yesterday after the game about that, if they agree with that, that Tyler Boyd has the smallest ego on the team. And every one of them said no. They totally disagreed with that. And it's not because Tyler Boyd has a huge ego. They said they all have small egos. It just kind of defines this team. And um, everybody's there for each other and happy for each other's success. And I don't think that's BS. Sometimes that's just athlete cliche. I I think there's really something to that with this team. And it's one thing to say you want that. It's one Mm. thing to say you value that. It's another thing to execute the acquisition of that. And I think that's where the Bengals personnel staff, coaching staff, and having a, a feel and connections throughout the league, whatever it is, their ability to find those types of guys through conversations they have. I mean, I, there's such a fraternity of coaches, particularly these young coaches. I mean, we hear all these stories, whether it be from Brian Callahan or Zach Taylor or Dan Pitcher, whoever you talk to, you know, they've been, all been around all these different parts of the league. They've been in a million different places. They're very personable people. They they all have these stories of things they've done together. And, you know, it's like, what was it? The one where uh, he was talking about Mike McDaniel would pop into my room at Texas A&M when we had a closet. <laughs> you know, there's just there's such there when you're part of this group, I feel like they have a lot of connections this is not to say Marvin didn't or other coaches haven't, but I do think they have a lot of connections in that of people that are willing to give them true evaluations of player personality, of character, of leadership and st- all the stuff they tend to value. Will this be a good guy that will fit in, you know, and, and, and on understanding from Duke Tobin down to his staff over to the coaches of exactly what that looks like of exactly what that means. And I talk about this all the time. One of those is willingness to play hurt. Football Mm. matters to me so much. I am willing to practice hurt. I'm willing to play hurt. I'm, I'm willing to be one of those guys. That's how much it means to me. And I think they've found that. I mean, they have a bunch of guys that play that way. And that's a, a way that they decipher a lot of times, whether someone is should stay or go or be, you know, someone they, they go after in, free agency or force or go away from. And so the ability to actually execute them to that to me is kind of been the key for them. And I just, I don't know. It's actually maybe a story idea on how they actually do it. Sometimes times it's off season, maybe um, they probably don't want to give away their secrets, but <laughs> clearly there's, there's something there because they these personality types do continue to show up that fit and then it becomes easier, right? I mean, then the end, whoever comes in just fits right into the culture. This fits right into that um, because it's pre-existing and, and it builds on itself. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap that part up. We're getting close to the end here. Let's uh, another one from the chat, a couple of questions about Trey Hendrickson um, and where he's at. So uh, I know Tom Pelissero had this, uh, was one of the first national people to have this yesterday on Hendrickson um, has, has a bad stinger. Um, supposedly something he's played through before. 
I, you know, I think we'll know more. I saw him in the locker room yesterday. Um, wasn't able to talk to him. He was, just, he was kind of in and out real quick. And so we'll, we'll probably, maybe we'll have a chance this afternoon if he's around. Um, but it's something that I, I, we don't know. We'll be trying to track down a little bit more information on that today on length, but that, that type of stuff feels like, again, something that you try to play through will actually keep you out. It might be a, a pain management type thing. Um, we'll see. Good returns from Joseph Osai in a small sample size. We started to see could be a chance to get him a little bit more run on the edge. He had well, only seven pass rush snaps yesterday because Atlanta hardly threw it, but uh, he had a sack and a pressure on those seven. And and um, I would like I think it'd be fun to see a little bit more of Osai on the outside and see what that looks like. Yeah, because most of what we've seen so far has been more of him coming rushing from the inside, and I. I I'd have to go back and watch, but I think that's where his sack came from. Uh, his first career sack yesterday. Yep. But yeah, you're right. That, with that explosion he showed in that first preseason game last year as a rookie, it would be uh, interesting to see how he could do with a with a full game rep uh, rushing off the edge. And um, it is it's the, the the Trey Hendrickson thing. They they ruled him out pretty quick after first saying questionable, but that that just could be a situation where the the game was kind of going the way it was and they didn't want to risk anything further um, but hopefully he will be around today and we can get a, a either from him or from zach a better assessment where he stands all right let's go uh, bring uh let's go back to the stage here and bring michael b up what's going on michael hey guys how are you doing good how are you doing? great i'm good I, I i missed the early part of this i was dropping my son off at school did we touch on or did you touch on uh the cam taylor Britt? piece of this and just sort of how interesting that is at least to me i don't i don't want to belabor the point if you did no we have not and a great okay. question to drop in i appreciate yeah yeah, yeah oh, I, I i just it just yeah no it's just it's just interesting to me especially in in light of lou's comments what was it a month ago about dax and kind of how provincial he got over the secondary room and obviously that's where he's you know where he's he hung his hat from a coaching standpoint i'm just i'm just curious obviously you know, uh, you know, he, Cam's such a such a crazy athlete coming out. The the muscle injury, obviously, in training camp, and I just curious, kind of, if that was. A, I mean, if you saw some or thought that was going to be something we saw sooner rather than later, but maybe not quite this soon, and and sort of where it leaves the room and and how we see this moving forward. Great question. Um, I was stunned by that. I I mean, because one. But the last we really heard, he's, he's in practice. We It felt like a redshirt year. You knew the way that Lou Anarumo viewed defensive backs. He doesn't rotate them. He will never rotate them. And that's not going to be a thing that's going to happen. And Cam had – all you had was a few reps from him early in camp. And you care so much about their communication and their playing together and building that chemistry. And to this guy who has gotten – Almost no reps except whatever has been happening in practice. Now, remember, we see the first 30 minutes of practice, which is basically stretching and individual work. We don't see what's actually happening when they start practice. We're not allowed to. So that is secret that I I just did not see coming, that they would pull the plug uh, on Eli Apple so fast to 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 bring Cam Taylor Britton. Now, you are in a spot to do it more when you're up a bunch in a game. Yeah. That, but and and it is a team that isn't going to throw as much, you know. And Cam Taylor Britt, a very physical run defender who's willing to stick his head in. Um, that's so maybe he's a more of a fit there. But to to do that, you know, to make that move um, at this point was really surprising. And I I think it shows their confidence level that you know they're kind of fed up with some of the stuff they've seen coverage wise from Eli Apple and. Perhaps they're 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 obviously willing to move the other direction, but you know I think it signals that it's happening personally. But we, we you know we don't know exactly how it will play out. But to me, this was the breakthrough moment. Yeah, I agree. I I, I was stunned that it was as much as it was the split. The, it doesn't surprise me. They they had to have looked at this Atlanta team and, and thought this is a team we can get up early on. And if we do, we didn't get to have that Cam Taylor Britt versus Eli Apple competition in, in camp because of Cam's core injury. Throw get up on a, get a lead, get a two possession lead, throw him in there for a series, see how he does, 
And then maybe that was going to be the extent of it. We don't know. We are going to get Lou later and we can find out more about this. But then when Eli just gets roasted so bad on the 75 yard touchdown play, they had to have been figuring, well, it can't look any worse than that. Let's put him in again, see what he does. And they obviously liked what they saw from him. They, they stuck with him for, for a lot of that second half. And you're right. I, I wouldn't be stunned to see him start in Cleveland Monday night. Um, again, we'll, we'll, we'll find out more. I don't know if they're going to tell us or not, but we'll get their, th- their thought process on that. But I do, I think that it was going to be a feeling out and Eli just that, that play was so bad that they figured it couldn't be any worse. Let's, let's see what Cam can do. And, you know, PFF didn't have him graded that great, but they did have him graded better than Eli Apple. So um, going to be an interesting week of practice in that regard. Yeah, and I, I do think, you know, this line of these these run-heavy teams, you're looking for somebody who is stronger tackler mm-hmm. on the outside. I mean, Cam is much no, more notably a bigger, thicker, stronger guy, you know, and, and comes with that reputation. And one thing you can do is, look, go out there, be an athlete, go make plays, make tackles, right? Whereas Eli, you know, you, you've seen some shakiness <laughs> out there periodically trying trying to make tackles. So, you know, that would make him be a better fit as well if you're talking about, you know, but whoever's out there is getting targeted because the way Mike Hilton and Chibé Uze are playing, yeah. defenses are clearly going to go out there and say, <clears throat> find 20 or find 29, whoever's playing, and, and try to find, try to take advantage of those guys. And I fully expect the Browns to try to do that next week. Uh, so, yeah, more information coming on that. That'll definitely be a topic uh, this week and coming out of our conversation with Lou Anarimo today. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's do it. We got to wrap it up. Only one way to do it. That is, uh, our good friend in Hawaii, Natasha B to wrap us up. Natasha, what is going on? Oh, oh, I hear waves. There it is. Guys, my feet are wet and I'm staring at a sunrise just for you. <laughs> oh man, look at, look at this. Oh, it just makes me feel so calm inside. It had to be done. It's victory Monday. Yeah, you're right. My victory Mondays are not so, as good as your victory Mondays. No. I still, I, I appreciate you're taking me there right now. It's a good start. It's a good start. So one of the problems about going last is everyone takes my questions. I wanted to talk about Teddy K and I wanted to talk about Cam Taylor Bridge, but I did have, I did have something. I, I noticed, which makes perfect sense, that anytime Joe Burrow says something in the news conference. It immediately goes into action. He said he wouldn't mind taking the ball after winning the coin toss, and they do it the very next game. I don't mind mm-hmm. doing quarterback sneaks, and I feel like he's quarterback sneaked more this year than he has the first two years combined. So what I think you guys should do is ask him, how do you feel about second and long runs? Or how do you feel <laughs> about fourth and one pitch? And he can say he hates it, and they'll stop doing it. This is this is a great suggestion, Natasha. I, I appreciate it, and thank you so much as always for checking in from Hawaii. It brightens our day. Uh, always, always one of my favorite parts of doing these live rooms. I agree. You know, it's not hard to figure out around here uh, in that building. Whatever Joey B wants, he pretty much gets. Uh, they know where their bread is buttered. They know who they want to be happy and they know who they want to give like a half a billion dollars to. So if he wants to do things a certain way, like, you know, run an offense out of the shotgun, then that's the way it's going to go. And everyone's going to be happy to, uh, to, to ride with those decisions. You're right. I mean, it is. If, if, if Joey B says something in a press conference, you can pretty much guarantee it is about to go that way. So yeah, Jay, it's on you. Um, you know, ask Joe, Joe, what are your feelings about uh, Arby, Arby's catering the entire uh, media room <laughs> every day? That seems like something you would get behind, isn't it? <laughs> and he says, actually, I would probably go a little higher. I know this guy, Jose Salazar, yeah, incredible chef. I think he is the type of person that would really want, and I would like to see him cater the media meals every day and now and that's that's what we need i'm going to focus on what's important to me <laughs> it's, it's such a fun topic but i think it's it's important distinction that 
it, these are not demands and, and Joe Burrow's not saying it needs to be this way. It needs to be this way. It's, it's Zach Taylor and that staff being smart and saying, Oh, if this is what he likes, then, then let's, let's do it. Let's try it. Let's keep him happy. Let's give our chance ourselves a better chance of being successful because if, if this is what our best player is comfortable doing, maybe that's what we should do. And I, I, I do think that that's important to note that this isn't Joe Burrow running the team. And Joe Burrow saying, I want this, I want that. That's not at all what's happening here. Natasha's right on. A lot of times it just comes from a, a simple question. And I'm sure these discussions are going on outside of the press conference room as well. But uh, it, it is interesting that um, a couple of those incidents, I think I was the one that asked them about the, the opening kickoff and um, to, to see the team put it into action immediately was, I think it, I think it says something about it, the clout that Joe Burrow carries. Yeah, there's there's a lot of opinions in the decision making room, but uh, when Joe Burrow's opinion is voiced, it's often followed. Uh, it's as strong as anybody. So, all right, thanks everybody for joining the live room again. We'll have another one uh, next Monday. So, bring your questions about the Browns game on Monday Night Football, and uh, we'll be all ready to dive into that. Uh, in the meantime, Jay's story uh, on breaking down every. Uh, Every turn, catch, one-handed dive, and throw into the stands of Tyler Boyd's day <laughs> is up. Great stuff from everybody about TB uh, and his rise over the last couple of weeks. I have a bunch of takeaways up, including Cam Taylor-Britt, Jamar Chase, saying that the first touchdown pass was the best throw that he's ever seen Joe Burrow make. Uh, more on the defense um, and, of course, on the, what has been behind the breakout in the offense from yesterday. All that stuff is up on The Athletic. Subscribe if you could. We appreciate it. We love having you aboard. We we work very hard to try to make your subscription worth it. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we will talk to you. You'll hear from us on the regular Hear That Podcast, Rylan, coming up, posting tomorrow afternoon. So we'll talk to you then. Have a good one, everybody. Have a good one, everybody.